Hi and welcome to the Mind Affinity Podcast. Today I'm chatting with Michael Nagels from It's Easy Web Design. The mind is capable of amazing things and yet so many people use that immense power to hold themselves back. Imagine what you could achieve harnessing that power and using it to push yourself forward. This is the Mind Affinity Podcast, the place for advice and inspiration to help you empower yourself. Hi, Michael. How are you doing? I'm all right. How are you, man? I'm really good, thank you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. So before we get started, uh, introduce yourself. Tell me a bit about who you are. So you I'm, uh, I'm Michael Nagels with It's Easy Website Design. Um, how much do you want me to tell you? I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm all set up. With, my head is all set up ready to answer your question. So yeah, who, who is Michael Nagels? Who are you? Who are you? Tell me about you. Wow. So it's going to be like that, is it? With these oh, deep, yeah, yeah, yeah. deep probing, <laughs> open-ended questions. So I'm, uh, I'm wow. I, I guess if, if I were introduced myself, I'd say that I'm, I'm Kyle and Kelsey's dad. I'm Terry's husband. And there's a whole lot of other stuff that goes with that, but it's all just fluff. Excellent. Do you know what? Isn't most of life fluff to some extent? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some of it's <laughs> quite heavy um dangerous fluff and some of it is light and airy and woo woo and it's it's all good but it's all good in the end and everything in between so uh i can tell by your accent and because i already know you you're not from around <laughs> are you um, i am not from around here um i'm from i'm from dudley um no i i'm not from dudley. i used to tell people i was from dudley when they asked me where i was from and then i went to dudley and decided that I didn't want to tell that story anymore. Um, <laughs> so now I've alienated everybody in Dudley. Originally from America, I've lived all over the place. I uh, was born in the Midwest um, in a place called Kansas City, which is hometown of my favorite football team. Um, I, I lived for a long time in Texas, and we kind of called Texas home. That's where, that's where we... Um, uh, that's, that's, that was one of the favorite places we ever lived, and one of where where we had some of our best memories um that's where i consider consider home in a big way um it's probably where i would go if i went back i'll put it that way um but um 35 almost 36 years ago i married a hartfordshire girl um we lived in america for 27 years we lived in germany for seven years and then nine years ago at christmas we moved over here to be closer to our family here. So I was going to say, what was it that brought you here? Was it just the, the family then? Yeah, yeah. Um, we had, as I said, we lived in America for a, a long time. Um, and it was just time. My, my mother had died in 2002. I uh, didn't really know my dad and didn't really have a, a connection to anything like that. So um, so my parents, the point of that is my parents were gone. Um, and Terry's parents were, as they do, they were, were getting older. And, um, Terry's mom had, um, had dementia and was diagnosed in 2011 with that. And so that was why we moved when we moved. That was the timing for it. Um, simply because it was time to come over here and spend time with them and be with her for the last few years. She finally died in 2016. She's actually Hold on. She's in that box right there. That's my mother-in-law. The podcast might 
pointing to a box on his shelf behind him. Oh, okay. I, we were doing this on Zoom. I thought people would be able to see that. So <laughs> now, now it's not nearly as funny to say my mother-in-law's in that box behind me. Um, but uh, yeah, she was. I make it funnier. She was. She was a lovely woman. I adored her, and the fact that she's sitting on that shelf in my office probably attests to that. But, um, but, but she's gone. Terry's dad is still with us and, and lives with us now. He, he uh, is 89 years old and is um, just a, a brilliant, brilliant fellow. Uh, one of my favorite people in the whole world. And, and uh, so, yeah, so that's, that's, that's the story of why we're in the UK though. Um, yeah. it, was, it was time to be in the UK. We, Terry did her time in America and we got out just before Trump was elected. So that was good. good and, um, <laughs> yeah. Made our escape while the, it's kind of like going, it's kind of like the sound of music sneaking across the Alps in the middle of the night. Um, so with all those, with all that moving around, seeing different places, relocating, living in different situations and scenarios, what what have you learned from that? What have you gained from, what insights have you gained from all of that change? Wow, you can, a, a question like that sets a man up to be really, um, full of himself doesn't it uh, <laughs> you know but I, I when I look back I'm 55 now so I'm not terribly old I've still got a couple of miles left in me um but when I look back now I look at different decisions and different times in my life and you certainly living in all those unique places and unique situations um gives you a worldview that a lot of people don't have um, you know, most of my family have never lived outside of, in fact, I can't think of anybody in my immediate family in America that's lived outside the U.S. My, my younger brother's traveled a little bit. He came and saw us in Germany when we lived there. And I've got a cousin who used to travel a lot, um, before she grew up and settled down. But, um, most of, most of my family, you know, has stuck close to home in America, which is the kind of what we do as Americans. We don't, we don't always get far from the flagpole. Um, and so I've lived, you know, we lived in Germany for seven years. I was in the American army for 10 years. Um, we've lived all over the United States, places like Iowa and Kansas, Missouri, and, and of course, Texas. And, you know, um, so it, um, yeah, it gives you a worldview that a lot of people don't get to be exposed to. We lived lived in Germany during the Cold War, um, which most people under 35 won't even know what that is. Um, but we, we lived in Germany during the Cold War. We, we, um, we were in Germany and lived about 50 miles from Nuremberg when the wall came down, um, when the, when the, um, you know, the, Borders between East and West Germany were opened up, and Czechoslovakia, and um, all those people came pouring across the borders. And suddenly, the people that were our enemy were sitting in the bars with us. And it was, you know, I've, I've stood, um, I, I've stood guard duty on the East German border. It, for those of you under thirty-five, there used to be two Germanys, um, but yeah, you know, stood guard duty on the East German border, less than five hundred meters from a guy standing on the other side of the fence staring back at me and we you know we'd watch them and they'd watch us and and um on both sides i think all we really wanted to do was go home and watch football but um, <laughs> you, you realize yeah. i'm under 35 and i know what you're talking about right <laughs> yeah but you're smarter than the average bear 
Oh, isn't that smart guy? You're a smart guy. <laughs> so there's there's a little little rapport building there. <laughs> there's a couple of things I want to pick up from that. Then one is um, like going from being supposed enemies to being able to sit across from someone in a bar. Um, that must have given you some insights or some thoughts far beyond just that moment that, that can apply in a wider sense. Well, I don't know that I'm too insightful about it. It, it was very surreal at the time because um, a lot of our training as, as a young soldier in the army, a lot of your training is don't, you know, because there was a lot of spying going on and they used to try to recruit American soldiers. And of course, the favorite thing for the for the East Germans and the Soviets to do was to go into West Germany, where there were a lot of young British and American soldiers living. And of course, you know, a lot of those guys, when you're that age, you're impressionable and you're you're easily seduced by wine, women, and song. And and so it, it was not unusual for foreign agents to go into Germany and just go go outside the American installations or the British installations um, and just start buying you drinks and get you drunk. And maybe, you know, young lady comes along and she's kind of sexy and she seems really keen on you. And the next thing you know, you're, this is not a personal experience, by the way, I'm sharing stories of what went on. Never happened to me, never happened to me. Um, but, but they would recruit you and, and use, use sex and alcohol and money to, to get you over to their side Sounds um, fun. and then but all of a the sudden then it's like okay don't worry about it um the soviet union's collapsing and the east germany is going to merge back with west germany and be one happy family and so um knock yourselves out you know go crazy and all of a sudden our enemies were our friends um you know i'm not sure not 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 sure that um that there's any experience I ever had in life to compare with it. Uh, hmm. I'm not, yeah. And for someone who hasn't had that kind of experience, trying to understand what that would be like, it's quite challenging. Well, I remember the, the first civilian job I went for, I'd forgotten about this. Um, uh, when I was getting ready to get out of the army and I was going on job interviews, looking for a civilian job and, I was I was interviewing for a job. I was about two weeks from getting out of the army, and I had I had a really good job lined up, and it had fallen through at the last minute. And so now it's desperate times. I've got you know young family and mortgage and all this stuff to worry about, and um, so I'm interviewing for jobs. And this guy's telling me, and he's telling me he was a really he was really honest. He was a good boss. I liked the guy, but he was telling me all of the reasons I didn't want the job. And he, he was telling you, know, it's dirty. And of course, it was in Texas. And, and he was talking about, you know, the hot summer sun. We lived in El Paso, Texas, brutal, brutal summers. And, and he was talking about rattlesnakes and, and just all the reasons. He was just being honest and telling me all the reasons I, I might not want the job. And I just, I just stopped him and I said, I just want to ask you one question. He said, what's that? I said, will anybody be shooting at me? And he said, <laughs> He said, no, 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 nobody will be shooting at you. And I went, I'll do it. Because after being in the army, I thought, you know, what do you, the, the stuff I've done for the past 10 years, what do you, and, and I had a good job in the army. I didn't actually have a dirty job as it went, but, it, you know, the, 
the easiest jobs in the army are still tough work and and uh, you know he's trying to talk me out of the job and all i was worried about was would i have to kill anyone would anyone try to kill me because that had been part of my life there's some real perspective there isn't there so has that gone on to be a valuable experience for you in other areas going forward that kind of if you've been through that you can get through anything yeah yeah terry and i joke a lot um i had a job one time where i had to drill holes in concrete and it you you have this huge hammer drill it's quite heavy and you had to drill these holes 12 inches apart sometimes around the entire house and so terry and i often joke and if you can imagine doing that in texas when it's hot mm. heavy work back backbreaking work i didn't have to do it for very long as part of some training i did um but so terry and i joke now that i'll, I'll get up and i'll be complaining and all of a sudden one of us will go well at least i don't have to drill any holes and that's just our way of, of kind of going, you know, yeah, you got to call this customer that you've made angry and you've got to eat your frog and sort them out. And, you know, you got to go to this meeting or maybe you got to drive somewhere. But you know what? I've had to do worse things. And nothing I have to do in my life right now is as bad as the potential. Um, you know, I never had to shoot at anybody. I was in the army during a peaceful time. Um, for the long 10 year stretch. Um, I was never in a position where I had to shoot at somebody else. And I was never in a position where someone was going to be shooting at me. But the potential was always there. And th that's what we were trained to do. Um, I had a lot of training that fortunately, I never had to use. Um, so, so now, you know, having to get up early and make a phone call to a customer or sort out a customer's problem that is maybe a little tedious and boring. Let's get on with it. You know, it's no big deal. Absolutely. So you didn't have to use any of that training. Great. Always a good thing. But there must have been some challenges on the way. And it may have been that or it may have been something else. But what was your biggest challenge looking back now in your life? What's the biggest challenge that you've had to overcome? Yeah. You know, when you're facing those challenges, they always seem insurmountable and they always seem just just, you know, so so terrible. But in a situation like this, sitting here on a sunny Friday afternoon and uh, it's been a good day and a good week and it's November's a good month and life is good. And I. I, I you know, it, it's. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned I. Uh, Oh. But I, th I think there's a life I mentioned lesson. earlier. I mentioned earlier that I never really knew my dad. I, I, I don't even refer to him as my dad. I refer to him as a sperm donor. Um, but he he disappeared when I was about two years old. And that was probably the only that's the last thing, bad thing that ever happened to me that was out of my control. And to be honest, that was a good thing because he was an awful person and it was a drug abusing, alcohol abusing, child beating, wife beating knobhead. Um, <laughs> so he did me a favor by disappearing when I was two years old because I never had to live with any of that madness. My brother and sister did, and, and I've heard some horrible stories, but 
Um, you know, the worst thing that ever happened to me would be him disappearing. And that was probably the best thing that ever happened. to me. So up until wife and children, because they're spectacular. But, but yeah, I, I, you know, when you ask me, what's, what's the worst experience I ever had? You know, you got to ask me on a bad day. Don't ask me on a good one because it, it just doesn't come to mind. Oh, well, we'll have to make sure we have another chat on a really bad day then. Because it'll make <laughs> you'll get you will get your chance. You will get your chance. <laughs> well, you know, if you are ever having a bad day, I'd be absolutely here to chat. And by all means, I'd want that recorded for everybody to listen to. <laughs> Excellent. Good. I, I I have that recorded, so I'll take that as press <laughs> permission. Um, <laughs> it, I, I love the 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 hardest thing, or the, or the kind of potentially worst thing that's ever happened, also happened to be the best thing that ever happened. Um, I like that. And that's a, a surprisingly common theme for people who have been through um, some challenges and hardships. Um, yeah. Looking back on it. You said at the start when I asked you um, about uh, you know, what, from, from traveling all over, you've probably got a, quite a wide range of experience and, and asked you to share some insight with me. Uh, and you said, gosh, these questions really set you up to uh, to, to come across big-headed. I, 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 that wasn't quite your wording, but something along yeah. that lines. Yeah. Um, firstly, I don't think there's anything wrong with, uh, with boasting and saying nice things about yourself. I think we could all do with doing that a bit more. So say some nice things about you. I, I want to hear this. What are you really good at? I, uh, wow. Um, <laughs> so if you were to ask the question, what am I proud of? I am a much, much better father and husband than the sperm donor who gave me life ever was. Um, my children, when they go to be parents and husbands and wives will have a better starting point than I did. Um, far from perfect and, and I'm still learning. Um, you know, 36 years of marriage, I still haven't quite got it all figured out. But the one thing I always said when, when Terry and I were young and before we had children is that one thing, no matter what, my children would always know where I was when they went to bed, they wouldn't have to wonder because I, my, uh, we'll call this guy Frank since that's his name, because um, I because I am uncomfortable calling him my dad. It's he's not me. You know, he's never my dad. Um, so Frank, like I said, disappeared when I was two. Um, as long as I could remember, I just you know my mom, my mother thought he was dead, and we all just assumed he was dead. And then when I was sixteen, he died. And his sister made contact with my mom to tell him uh, to tell us that Frank had died. Um, and, and I look back on that and I think, you know, I, I, when I got married to Terry, I, I just made a commitment that that even if I wasn't going to be there, because, as you know, I travel, uh, traveled a lot for a few years. Um, of course, my children were grown by then. They could care less. But um, but when when they were young and at home, it was just my goal that if I was going to be away, they'd know where I was. And they'd, they'd know I'd gone to Austin or gone to Dallas and would be back Thursday. And, and, I've, and I kept that commitment. That's a really good commitment. So obviously that's a lesson that you've learned along the way from that. What other big lessons have you learned in your life? Over the past few years, um, learned the value of, of gratitude 
more than I think I ever learned before. Um, without going into the whole story, I had a job that was built around volunteers. And I, I had a, a high level job with a national company. And a big part of that job was leading people who were volunteers. And I learned an incredible amount on that job um, because they didn't get paid. And I couldn't, there, there were some, some financial incentives along the way, but it took me about a year to get my head around the fact that they didn't, they weren't doing it for me and they weren't doing it for the company. They were doing it for themselves. And, and there was, there's a lot of honor in that, um, because they did things for themselves to benefit their business and the business I worked for benefited from that along the way. Um, but that was a very humbling thing because up until then, um, you know, I, I had been in leadership positions and, um, I had been in leadership positions. I'd had staff and employees and people that worked for me for years, for 20 years, I'd been in different leadership roles, but I'd, I had never had one um, where they were volunteers and they were doing it just because different levels of the organization inspired them to do it as volunteers. So that was kind of a, kind of a meandering answer there, I think, because I look back on it, but that was a truly growing experience. I grew a lot from, from 2015 to 2019. Um, it was probably a, a, a totally reshaped the way I looked at people. Cause you got to remember, I started off as a soldier in the, in the American army. And for 10 years, after you get a little bit of rank in the army and you have people that work for you in the army report to you, um, they're, they're hostages by and large. They can't just quit. And, you know, they have to do what you tell them because otherwise somebody might get hurt or killed. Um, and so, you know, and it, it works both ways. You, every, every leader follows somebody. But going from that Army experience to, um, to my time as, the, as a leader in that organization most recently, um, what a different perspective I ended up having. And if you want to hear more about that different perspective that Michael gained from that, then you're going to have to tune into part two because that's all the time we have for part one. In this part, we've learned a lot about Michael and his past. In the next part, we get to really understand some of the lessons that he can share with us from his time and experience. So check back next week and I'll see you for part two. Thank you for tuning in to the Mind Affinity podcast. I hope you found today's content valuable and I look forward to seeing you here again in the future. I really do appreciate you taking the time to enjoy the content that I put out. And if you're looking for more, search for Mind Affinity on Facebook or YouTube and you can find some great video content as well as this audio.